Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What things really matter to you? How do you overcome distraction to pursue a more meaningful life? Do you want to live a more meaningful life with fewer fewer regrets? And do you want to make a positive difference in the world? I know that I definitely do. That is why one of the main reasons why I do this uh, podcast for you guys every single week But culture is distracting a lot of us from doing just that. And that's what my guest Joshua Becker and I talk more about in today's conversation about his brand new book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Perhaps moments, days and years go by without you stopping to ask yourself, am I living out my true purpose, my true potential? Even if that question whispers to you, are you brushing it aside because you don't know what to change in your life's busyness? In this conversation today, Joshua and I help you identify the obstacles such as fear, technology, money, possessions, and the opinions of others that keep you from living with intention. And then Joshua provides practical ideas for letting go of those distractions today so you can focus on what really matters most. He uses practical exercises and questions during this conversation as well as in his book, insights too from a nationwide survey and success stories to give you the motivation that you need to. Joshua Becker is one of the OG minimalists, believe it or not. He is the best-selling author of The More of Less and The Minimalist Home. He's the founder of Becoming Minimalist. Many of you would know that site or you would know the actual minimalist. I believe that Joshua is actually the OG minimalist, as I said before. But his website 
is dedicated to inspiring others to find more life by owning less. The website welcomes over 1.5 million readers each month and has inspired millions around the world to consider the practical benefits of owning fewer possessions. And I think that all of us in some way can take a lot from this conversation that Joshua and I have that owning you don't need to own a lot of stuff. Like I think in today's society, we all think that we need to have more, but you can have more with less, less possessions, right? You can have so much more with your relationships, the things that really do matter in this life rather than the things that don't necessarily matter, that don't have a great deal of worth attached to them. And you know, a lot of us, we attach worth to items and possessions because we think that without it, we are not worth anything. The more we have, the better it will be. That is society's way of teaching and it is a broken method, my friends. And allow Joshua to share with you his method, which I believe is a much better better method for living a more meaningful life. Do, Do yourself a favor. And also help support Joshua by getting a copy of his brand new book. It is out right now. Uh, The link is in the show notes below. So I'll make sure that you guys know where to get a copy of this book too. But also don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. I'll link that in the show notes below so you know where to get it. It's coming out September 27th. There's still a little bit more time. But if you want to get an earlier copy, then please do so. Be one of the first people to actually receive one when it goes live. That would be awesome. All right, my friends, that's enough from me, but you know what time it is. It is time to learn about the things that really do matter in our our life as we journey into this story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than the OG minimalist himself, Joshua Becker. Uh, Of course you can welcome me. Thank you so much for having me. You can't be old enough to know who the OGs are of the movement, can you? I, I think I can. I mean, doing right. some research, I think you're one of them. And then the other ones that I know are the minimalists. Uh, forgot their names right now that I'm blanking on them. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know. Forgive me, guys. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I didn't. I did. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot to, to, uh, to name them all. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I think I, there were other people writing about minimalism 13 years ago, um, but uh, usually in other contexts. And I, I think I was the first website ever dedicated specifically to it as a, as a topic. So I thanks, think for that the, is, thanks for the intro. I think that is incredible, man. And I, I want to park it there because I'll, I'll get back to why you decided to do this in the first place and unbox more of your story. My very first question for you is a question that I love starting off with all my conversations. It's, it's what does success look like for you? Uh, what does success look like for me? Boy, um, that is a good question. Uh, I, um, I would think uh, success for me, um, maybe I'll answer this in a couple different ways. Uh, I think success is becoming the best version of myself that I can possibly be. Uh, I think that um, if I can get to the end of my life and 
Um, not think that I wasted it in any way. Um, obviously, I'll have some regrets and obviously there's some moments of, of wasting. But if I can get to the end of my life and think to myself, I did the best that I could uh, with the person that I was, um, then that would be uh, that would be success. Um, if I were to try to quantitate it a little bit more. Um, my faith is very important to me, so I, I want to be uh, I want to be a faithful um, faithful follower of God. Uh, that's probably my uh, my my greatest goal in life. I, I want to be a uh, intentional father. Uh, I want to be a, a faithful husband, and then I want to make the biggest difference in the world that I can. Um, meaning, I want to uh, bring about the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Uh, is how I've begun to say that, and I. I, some people, I, I think, bristle a little bit when I when I say I want to make the biggest difference in the world that I possibly can, um, because I think that looks different for different people. And and so for me, over the years, it's it's become building a blog and writing books and having a YouTube channel and making a difference in that way. But uh, my wife, um, she stays at home and she raises our kids, and uh, I I only get to do what I do because she does what she does and. Uh, her impact on our our kids' lives is different than the impact that I have in the world, but I, I think both of us are uh, trying to make the biggest difference for the for the most amount of people that we can. So anyway, that's a long answer, and we could be here all day if I answer them all these all this long. No, man, I love long answers. It saves me having to talk, <laughs> as I say. But I'm curious. You mentioned something that was very interesting there, which is trying to strive for a more meaningful life, that sort of thing. What does the best version of your life look like? Um, I once had a uh, I once had a boss, and um, I was asking him a little bit about success and how he tried to how he tried to determine success or define success or know where to pursue success. And, uh, and he used this phrase with me. He said, uh, Joshua, for me, it's all about allocation of resources. Mm. And he said, so I have, I have specific talents. I have specific gifts and abilities and experiences and even relationships and education and personality. Uh, and so where can I use my resources in the best way um, to serve other people. And, um, so I, so when I think of the best version of myself or, um, I think that was the original question. I even lost track of my thinking there, but, um, right. That was the original question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would think that's it. I, I want to allocate my resources most, most effectively. I, I seem to have, um, some talents in in writing well that that resonate with people. Um, I seem to be able to to speak in a way that resonates with with people, view the world in a certain way that resonates with people. And so, how do I how do I use those gifts and abilities and and talents and and put them in the 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 right place um, for the right purpose as well? Which I guess is really what not to jump the gun here, but a little bit about what the book is about. Um, things that matter is about like, what am I living my life for? And what are the things that I, that I am pursuing? Because I could, 
I could use all my talents and abilities and just try to make as much money as I possibly can or get as famous as I possibly can. But uh, I, I hope that my my chief goal, my chief motivation more than anything else is um, uh, is to help others and serve others and um, make a make a difference in the world. It's a selfless answer, man. I love it. And the second yeah. part of the question really is, what constitutes a meaningful life in your opinion? I know it's probably a big question and it's a subtitle of your book or part of the subtitle of your book. We spent hours on this, but what do you think like to start off with constitutes a meaningful life? Um, I, uh, I have a, uh, I have a bonus uh, section in the book where I, where I talk about um, how do I find what, what my most important pursuits are like where am i going to find the the most meaning in my life we uh we did a survey for the book and 70 percent of people said that they know what their purpose is in life and um uh it always looks different from one person to another uh obviously um i was i think i was a surprise that it was that high um just based on the number of emails that i get of hey I understand minimalism, but what am I going to do with my life if I'm not buying a bunch of stuff? And how do I know what my purpose is in life? And I get like a lot of those questions. And so I, I guess um, maybe 70% of people who um, know what that is, but I, I guess I would kind of hope that the book would cause people to, to rethink that um, in some ways. But um, what I get to in the book is I, I think that when we uh, a little bit, uh, I draw a Venn diagram um, between what our talents and abilities are, um, what our passions are in life, and how do those intersect with other people's needs in life. Um, and I think that that's where we, that's where we find our, our, our purpose. Uh, that's where we find our, our meaning. Uh, I, I think that it is, I think that it is wonderful that different people have different passions in life and different people see different problems and are passionate about different problems. And I think one of the problems in our world today is that if, if the problem that I'm passionate about solving isn't the problem that you're most passionate in solving, then I call you a bunch of names or I make assumptions that you don't actually care, um, even though you just care about different things and are trying to um, solve different problems and, and serve different people. And so um, how, do we, how do we combine our abilities, our passions, and how those intersect with uh, the need in the world? And again, it's not that everybody is going to be having a following of 2 million people. Uh, sometimes it's just the, the two or three people at home that, that follow you, that, um, that you influence the most, but that's where you, uh, your passions can meet uh, the needs of the world. You said 70% knew their purpose and the 30% didn't, or they're trying to, I guess, find their purpose. Why do you think so many people find it difficult to actually discover their purpose? And, and firstly, what is purpose? Uh, yeah. Uh, what is, uh, what is purpose? Um, well, that would, uh, that would probably go back to my, uh, my faith. And, uh, so I, I, I see a very spiritual connection between, uh, myself and God and the world and, um, what, what he would have, how he would have me live my life is, um, what I think my purpose should be and ought to be. Um, so that would certainly, uh, define how I define purpose. Although, Different people are going to probably define that uh, define that differently. 
Um, your first part of the question is why do uh, why do people struggle with that? Um, you know, I think um, I think there's a part of uh, maturing, um, growing up, uh, learning learning who we are and and what we do well that um, that becomes refined that that helps us decide that. Um, I think that there is um, probably one of my greatest passions for minimalism is uh, my view in how the world and society and marketers tend to tend to hijack our our passion and and our purpose and um, we begin to define purpose as to how we think we see other people defining it. I want to make a lot of money. I want to um, make a name for myself. Uh, this becomes, I think, our our purpose by default um, when we don't dig a little bit deeper into our hearts, and uh, maybe we get to a point where we realize, "Hey, this isn't actually fulfilling my needs like I like I thought I would like I thought it would." Maybe maybe there's a different purpose out there available for me. Um, so I think uh, I think those are some of the reasons. I, I think some people don't even ask the question, um, don't even necessarily. Maybe it's kind of nagging in them, but you know, you're having a good time and having fun and um, life seems to be just fine without wrestling with some of those questions. Um, we, live in a, we live in a very loud world uh, where uh, there's a lot of entertainment and, and a lot of noise that we can use to, to fill our day as opposed to uh, wrestling with some of those deeper questions. Mm. And they're all massive distractions, aren't they? They they just distract us from what's really, really important in life. Yeah. And I yeah. talk about, because I am a person of faith, I, I believe in God as well. I'm a Christian. My audience knows that. Uh, I talk about having the God-given purpose, which is the best purpose of all, like knowing that your purpose is to be alive and to live on this earth. Like that's it. Like to, to serve in the best possible way. Um, that for me is like the ultimate purpose. Like I can't think of a better one. Like so many people have, have told me their answer to what purpose is for them, but it just, it doesn't even compare for me yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Amazing how that works. Let me, uh, let me ask you, let me ask you the same question you asked me. So uh, I'll give you the uh, two results from the survey. 70% of people say that they have identified a clear purpose for their life. Um, 77% say that they are distracted from that important pursuit or they're chasing other things that keep them from, but when you hear 70% of people have defined their purpose, is that where you would put the number or would you have guessed it higher or lower? I, I would have guessed that that number would have been extremely low. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It came in a little higher than, than I thought. As a matter of fact, we rearranged the book because I, <laughs> I started out with, uh, like the chapter on how do I find my purpose? And then at least in my mind, that's where it was going to go. And then the survey results came in and 70%, um, said they knew where it was. And I'm like, well, we probably don't need to lead with this. You know, we'll put it in the back and, um, those 30% who really want to go down that road can find it. So, all right. Interesting. And then why do you think that is? I think, Today's day and age, more and more people are becoming aware of it because I, I think they're feeling like something is missing in their life. So I think they're going on that journey. Like for me, I mean, I'm I'm 25, 
And I went on that journey in 2019 because I grew up thinking that my purpose was to be a filmmaker. I always considered purpose with something I needed to do as part of that being who I was. And so I got, I am versus I do very confused. Uh, and so I thought that because I was a filmmaker, then I am worth something in society. And that suddenly became my purpose. Mm -hmm. And I just got that completely mixed up. And, and so I was chasing this thing that I thought was my ultimate purpose. And then when that didn't happen, I just felt stuck and lost and absolutely miserable and thought, okay, well now I've got to start figuring out what is really my purpose on this earth. And that's where I discovered like this light bulb moment God made for me, like Jay, your purpose isn't to do this, this, or this. It is to be a servant. It is to be alive and to live on this earth because I created you that way to do that. Um, and that's, that's what I discovered. So I think a lot of other people are sort of realizing the same thing and they're asking more and more questions, which I think is a, is a great thing. And the other 30%, I think you're right. There's a lot of still distractions and fear going on in their head. They don't know really where to start. That's my point of view. I don't know if you yeah. think the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I, uh, uh, very interesting. No, I would agree. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I certainly agree. That's so good. you also mentioned these other, I think you got eight distractions in the book. One, fear, past mistakes. Past mistakes is interesting. Why does past mistakes hold people back? Uh, again, this was a uh, survey result that um, was probably the, the most, uh, for me, it was the most heartbreaking of the survey results and like legitimately um it it shook me a little bit to to see this um so the the book is all about how how do i get to the end of my life with fewer regrets um and i i think the way we do that is by uh knowing what's meaningful to us and then knowing that we dedicated our lives to it um it's going to be different for different people, but I think that when we, when we waste our lives chasing things that don't matter, that this is when we get to the end of our life and have all these regrets about things we wish we had done differently. But if we stay focused on the things that matter, then some of the, um, some of the, the other metrics of, you know, how much money did I make or, uh, how big my house was or how did, big did my podcast become or how many people saw my films. Like those don't, those metrics don't matter quite so much as long as I know that I was faithful in pursuing things that mattered and, and gave my life to it. So, um, so that's the story of the book. And then, um, yeah, so I get in and mention a couple uh, different mistakes and fears. The, the, the first two are kind of in, internal fear. Like, how does fear keep me from chasing some of these things? Um, and then number two is past mistakes, which 60% uh, of people say that they are held back by past mistakes they've committed in their past from living the future they want. And so that's 60% of people who who can see that and can articulate that and can look back on one thing that they did in the past, like one major thing in the past holding them back or um, reoccurring things that they keep falling back into over and over again. 
Uh, and then equally heartbreaking, um, maybe even more heartbreaking, uh, 55% of people say, uh, 55% of people say that they're held back from the future they want because of a past mistake committed against them. Um, <clears throat> and I use mistake pretty broadly. Like I say in the book, sometimes it's downright evil what someone did to you. Um, but it was still a mistake, kind of the all, all encompassing word there. And, um, and I, you know, um, why does it happen? You know, I, I think that we, um, uh, we, we don't always, uh, turn and face the problem. Um, we, we just accept that it's a part of who we are and we're, we're never going to be whole again, or, you know, we're, we're always going to be a little bit damaged or we're always going to struggle with that thing over and over and over again, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to turning it and, and facing it and, and doing the hard work of, um, overcoming it or redeeming it, um, learning what we can from it and rather than allowing it to hold us back, um, using it to, um, propel us into a, a different future or, or realize that, that there can be some, some redemption that, that comes from that. However, I mean, however, um, evil it, it might've been, it doesn't minimize the evil, but we can still look back and look back and say, okay, it happened and I'm not going to change it, but, um, how has it made me who I am today and, uh, in a, in a more positive way. Do you have any regrets? Do I have any, uh, do I have any regrets? Um, <clears throat> I, uh, not in, uh, not in this, not in this extent. I, like I, uh, I don't look back and, and think that there are certain things that they're holding me back. Um, I can look back on certain events and habits that, that have, um, molded me into, into who I am. Um, and, how do I, how do I redirect that for positive? So this is, this isn't the perfect example, um, of the, of the story of that chapter, but it's, it's an example. So I was, uh, I was a twin, uh, my, I'm about six foot, 175 pounds. Uh, my brother's six, five, 220, 230. I always say if my brother was starting tight end on the high school football team, I played tennis. So this was, this was our high school experiences. He was popular, um, star athlete, and I was small and skinny and, um, playing tennis. And my parents of course loved us the same. I have great parents and great grandparents and always, always a stable family, but my brother just always got more attention, um, was always name was always in the paper more. And, and I, it, it really, I think, um, shaped me into wanting attention and wanting to be noticed and, and striving to be noticed and appreciated. And, um, and I, I have a whole, there's a whole chapter in the book on, on accolades and, and seeking reputation and, um, being noticed. And certainly that, that comes from, I think my, my background and just growing up that way. And, um, so it's something that, that I wrestle with and, and fight with. And, um, um, yeah, I can, I can feel it when I, you know, when I, when that becomes the goal in life, when, when the goal becomes to 
to be known more, um, as opposed to just doing the best that I can with, with what I have. It changes the way I act and changes some of the things that I do not always in, in healthy ways. Um, so all that to say, I, I don't know if that holds me back because I think I have a pretty good grasp on what that is and, and who it's, uh, made me to be. And so who, how do I, how do I use that, um, that motivation for, for positive ends, as opposed to it sending me down a road that um, I'll look back on and regret later. Did you always see yourself becoming minimalist or what, what did you? Yeah. No, no, I was, uh, um, so I, I pastored for 15 years and uh, I, my grandpa was a pastor and uh, that's what I always um, loved doing. Although I thought I was going to be a banker. I went to college to be a banker because that's what my dad does, but ended up becoming uh, a pastor right out of high school, right out of college. I mean, and, uh, that's what I did. Uh, minimalism popped up on my radar 13 years ago. Um, actually the short story is I wasted a whole Saturday morning cleaning out my garage. Um, and my son was five and he was in the backyard playing by himself, asking me to play. And I kept telling him that I couldn't because I had to clean the garage. And hours later, I started talking to my neighbor and she's the first one to ever use the word minimalism. She said, well, um, that's why my daughter keeps telling me, well, she, she said, um, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own so much stuff. And uh, I looked at the garage I spent all morning taking care of and my son alone in the backyard and like just this light bulb moment of what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I, why do I own all this stuff that's taking me away from the time that I should be spending with my son? And I have all this stuff and yet I still want more. Like I'm, I'm not, <laughs> Uh, I've gone way past having what I need, and yet I'm still not satisfied. And not only am I not satisfied, but all this stuff is actually taking me away from the things that that do matter most. So that was my that was my journey into it. I I never dreamt I would be writing about it 13 years later, much less um, that it would be a a career or a, a passion of mine to to spread the message. But I started I started blogging and started sharing a little bit about my story and what I was learning and what I was noticing. And, uh, more and more people were drawn to the the website and it kept growing and growing and, um, came a point where I, I would say I couldn't, I couldn't do both. I couldn't both pastor and, and keep up the, the blog and the writing because it was becoming too much. And so, um, need to decide what I was going to do, uh, with my time. And like I say, there, there were many pastors who are better than me, but there weren't a lot of people writing about minimalism uh, who were doing it better than me. So that's why I decided to do that. For those people that don't know what it means to be a minimalist or what minimalism is, can you share what that is? And secondly, how does being a minimalist help you live a more meaningful life? Yeah, that's good because uh, it's been 13 years. And so uh, I think certainly when I first started writing about minimalism, there was there was an assumption about what it meant and you have can only have a hundred things or you live in a mm -hmm. tiny home. And um, I, I usually say that I was probably the one that broke that mold because I, I was 
had a house in the suburbs and there were four of us and uh, I was never going to own just 100 things, but I was certainly going to try to get down to owning just, just what I needed. Um, but uh, minimalism is essentially about recognizing that there are more important pursuits in life than physical possessions. And in the further realization that all the things we own take up money, time, focus, energy, everything we own has to be cared for and taken care of, not, not to mention how much time we spend trying to make more money so we can buy more things just to bring them home to, to take care of them. Um, and so minimalism seeks to remove the distraction of physical possessions so that I can focus more of my life on the things that actually matter. Um, so I define it as minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things I most value by removing anything that distracts me from it. And uh, it started for us with physical possessions, but can go beyond that um, into, into other areas as well. And so that's how I define it, knowing that it looks different from one person to another. We were a family of four, which is going to look different than a, you know, a single guy in their 20s or uh, empty nesters in their 60s. Like it's, it's going to look different if you live in the middle of a city or if you live out uh, in a rural community. It's going to look different if you're a farmer or a banker or a dentist or a teacher or a writer, like what you or a filmmaker, like what you, what you do, uh, how you make a living in the world and how you serve the world is going to, um, depend on, um, or the things that you own is going to depend on, on those types of things. So how does it help me live a more meaningful life? I, I think it, you know, hopefully removes distractions, not just removing the, the amount of my life that I need to use taking care of my stuff. Um, but also I hope it redirects my, my passions and desires towards wanting to buy new things, wanting the bigger house, wanting the nicer car, um, the bigger television, and allows me to use my money, time, and energy um, and focus on uh, more meaningful pursuits. How does your faith tie into that? Oh, a ton. Uh, well, um, so certainly... Um, people find minimalism coming from any and every faith and non-faith background. And I think that there's benefit for everybody. And I've, I've always tried to, to write, um, both my blog and my books in a way that, um, doesn't alienate anybody regardless of their, of their faith or non-faith. Um, but for me, it was always, it was always a big thing. I mean, I, my understanding of who God is, that, that there is a God, that, that there is a, a spiritual realm to the world, um, hopefully helps me break free from physical things. Like I just know that there are deeper things in my heart and soul than, than physical possession. So certainly plays into it. Um, I, uh, minimalism really kind of changed my view of um, a lot of Jesus's teachings, uh, actually the whole New Testament in a lot of ways, like there were, like Jesus talks a lot about life is not found in the abundance of possessions. And he tells one guy, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and come follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. And, um, and there's like a, a lot of like, okay, Jesus wants me to get rid of all my stuff, man, that's going to be pretty miserable. 
but okay. If that's what he want, like, like reluctantly having to do some of those things that, um, that he taught about until I actually started doing them, like until I actually got rid of the things that I didn't need and started realizing, Hey, this is a way better way to live life. And it's just like, like there's people out there trying to get money, trying to convince me that if I buy whatever they're selling, my life is going to be better. Um, and somewhere along the way, I, I bought into that, bought into that thinking. Um, but so, yeah, so both, I think laid the foundation for minimalism and then, uh, minimalism, I think even brought greater understanding of how I read some of those passages. Yeah. And also that, story in the Bible that Jesus talks about the guy, he doesn't follow Jesus because he has, he was a wealthy man and he has a lot of stuff. And he, I think he put that emotional attachment. Sure. He wanted to follow Jesus, but his love for stuff was far greater than his love for Jesus and his love for following him. So I think that's a good tie into my next question, which is how can we remove this emotion that a lot of people have? I know not everyone wants to be a, a minimalist and, and all that sort of stuff, but where can people really start? Where can they begin? Um, so I think that the, uh, if my, my hope anywhere I go and anywhere I talk about this is that, um, someone would be inspired to own a little bit less. And, uh, most people I think are in some way or another rarely do. I always say I can, I can count probably on one hand how many people have said I'm wrong. <laughs> like very few people say, no, you're wrong. The goal is to just own as much stuff as I possibly can. Like no one really thinks that. But um, uh, a lot of people, when they hear about minimalism or they hear about decluttering, um, they tend to they tend to go to the attic where they know there's a whole bunch of stuff and, or they go to the garage that they can't park inside and like they, or they think about the hardest thing that they would ever have to get rid of. Oh, I can never get rid of my books or I can never get rid of my sentimental things. And they like go to the hardest place in their house to get started. Um, you could spend an hour in your attic and see no difference, you know, from the time that you were up there or an hour in your garage and see hardly any difference. And we get frustrated and overwhelmed and we throw up our hands and like, well, this isn't for me. So I always encourage people to go start in a room that they spend time in. Uh, actually, the easiest place that they spend time in, I think, is the best place to get started uh, questioning what you need to keep. Uh, a bedroom, a living room, even a car is a great place to start because you could spend a couple hours in your bedroom, just really thinking through, like, what are these things do I really need? What things are just kind of distracting from the purpose of this area? And you can spend two hours in the bedroom. Uh, you can spend two hours in the living room and sit down on the couch at the end of the day and like feel the difference that you made. You could spend 20 minutes in your car 
and get in your car the next day and feel the difference in the in the area around you. Um, and so I think that that's a, a beneficial way to to do it. And then and then once you finish one space, go find the next easiest space that you spend time in and kind of build up this muscle um, to eventually get to the attic or the garage or the books, um, the arts and crafts, whatever it might be. I like that. I think it's going to be helpful for me because, yeah, I'm going to revisit my room and this room (laughs) and try and remove several attachments to certain things that I know, yeah, if it's not serving like a proper purpose in my life, then, yeah, should I really have it? Yeah. So, so two thoughts. I, uh, I, I'm, I always encourage people to, uh, like define the purpose of a space. Like, like what is the purpose of your bedroom? I always say it's, I mean, unless you're using it for an offer. So like the purpose of my bedroom, it should be for rest and intimacy. Like, like that's what it's for. Like that's what that space is for. And so are there things in that room that, are actually keeping me away from rest and intimacy or the the living room should be this is where we relax as a as a family is where we spend time together as a family like are there things that have collected that are uh, keeping that room from from its purpose uh, and then the emotional attachment thing I'll just mention this that that it's a, a difficult process for anyone and and everyone um, and it's easy I think when, it gets hard to remove an item to just stop and decide to keep it. Like it's just too hard for me to go through my book collection or it's too hard for me to go through um, my children's old toys that I, I store down in the basement. It's just, um, and, and so we stop there because it gets too hard as opposed to like, no, I like sit in that for a little while. Like, why is it hard for me to get rid of these books that I know I'm not going to read again? Like, what is it about these books? What is it about me that makes me want to hold on to all these things? Or what is it about my children's childhood that I, I want to hold on to all these things um, and can't give them to some child down the street who could play with them tomorrow? I, I need to keep them in a box in my basement and really try to find what those motivations are, I think is very, um, very helpful. The book thing, I think for me, I mean, I'll read the book and then it sits on the shelf and I'm like, it looks good. I want people to know that I've got the book and then I can say I've read the book and it kind of gives me like extra credit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, And I love having books. I think for me, the more books that I have and I actually read them, the more knowledge I feel like I'm gaining as a result. And that's why I've kept all the books that I've read and I'm still getting to some. <laughs> I haven't read all of them yet, but we're getting there. But I don't think that it sort of takes over my life. I don't think it's a bad distraction by any stretch of the imagination. I think that they've all got some sort of use for my life in a, in a good way. So yeah, that's my understanding of it at least, but with the other things. I, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was, uh, kind of, uh, rethinking my office and what do I need to keep in my office? And I, um, 
I had up on, so I, when I was a pastor, and so I had my college degrees up on the pastor, up, up on the wall. There was three of them. There was my undergraduate degree, there was my master's degree, and then there were my like credentials with the denomination. Um, and I, I had them all framed and they were on the wall. And, um, and I, I looked at them and I'm like, I wonder, hmm, why do I have these on the wall? And, and it occurred to me, like for me, it wasn't that I found them motivating. It wasn't that I needed to be reminded that I had, you know, graduated college. It was purely when people came into my office, I wanted them to notice that I had all these degrees in my past. And it was, it was a little, I could see that it was, it was an unhealthy motivation. Like it, it wasn't something that was spurring me forward. It was something that I wanted people to know about me the moment that they walked in the office. And I, I could see, I guess if you're a doctor or something like I, I, there are times I suppose when, when it's helpful to have those on the wall, but I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm just trying to impress people with, with what I did in the past rather than who I am today. And, um, so I think that's a little bit of it. Like when you said that in the books about the books, you know, like, uh, like art is like, I have books in my office and, um, there's a space for art that inspires us and motivates us and, and, you know, reminds us of certain messages and certain things in certain books that, uh, we need to be reminded of. But then there can also be, you know, the, the other case of, no, I just want people to walk in and see bookcases full of books so that they think I'm smart, um, as opposed to really impressing them with who I am. And my actual smarts, I just want them to think I'm smart. So, I've still got a lot to learn <laughs> by the sounds of it, honestly, which I, I think I I love. It, it kind of, what you're speaking to was the applause, which is one of the distractions you talk about in your book, I believe. And I think, yeah, I've got to, got to get that sorted myself um yeah thanks for that <laughs> it's that that's helpful i love how you just you didn't attack me at all it was like a you, you shared a story and that inspired me to rethink my understanding of why i've got so many books yeah. i mean i said it like i admitted to it <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah no and I, and I wanted to brought it up except that you said that even in your answer you know you're um I'm like, well, it could be like, it could be positive, could be, could be healthy, could be unhealthy. I think that's part of the, part of my point of like, what is that? Like, what is the, the motivation here? And, um, is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is it, is it helping me, you know, um, the way we define success? Like, is it helping me become the best version of myself or is it, is it actually, um, distracting me from it? Yeah. I've got to remove the negative side of things and just focus more on the positive lot of things i think that's yeah that's gonna be more beneficial but joshua man i am mindful of your time uh got a couple more questions for you if that's okay okay with that's fine i'll i'll try to answer shorter how about that i feel <laughs> no, like you're I've okay. been taking all the time here it's totally okay <clears throat> uh why did you decide to write this book things that matter um the the book has probably been a uh a decade long thinking, uh, thinking in my head. Uh, the short, the short answer is, uh, I was at a conference and, um, 
the, the guy up front said, close your eyes and answer this question. Um, if you were to die today, what is the one thing that you would regret not completing or not accomplishing? And um, writing this book is what came to my mind um, because it, I was uh, on another podcast a couple of weeks ago with a, a pretty good friend of mine. And he said, um, he said, I know you're known for minimalism, but I think this is the book that you were designed to write uh, because it, uh, there's a chapter on possessions. Uh, there's a chapter on money. Like there's a chapter on some of these things, but the reality is that there are other distractions um, in life and in society that that can keep us from um, fully accomplishing um, things in those areas that matter most to us. And I, I wanted, number one, to raise some of those issues and maybe introduce new thoughts into, into people's lives um, and other people who know that certain things have just been a distraction to them to try to offer some uh, ideas as to how to overcome that and and uh, start walking, um, start walking more fully in the future. I like that. Are minimalists allowed to have a bit of money, like a lot of money? Well, number one, there's no rule about minimalism, so uh, people can do whatever they whatever they want with um, money and have as much as they want. I, uh, um. There's a whole chapter in the book on money, and I, um, my hope is to challenge people on how much is enough. Um, Seventy-eight percent of Americans are stressed about money, um, and I always wonder why. Like, we're one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world. Like, why are seventy-eight percent of us stressed about money? It's not because we don't have food. It's not because we don't have a roof. It's not because we don't have clothing. Like, like way more than 78% of us have our needs met. And yet we're still stressed about money. Why, why is that? Why is enough never enough? Um, and I think it's because we, uh, we look for money to provide things that it was never meant to provide, um, happiness and security, um, and I, I think that there are better uses of our money than, um, than just keeping it to ourselves. Um, certainly we need to meet our needs and care for our families, but I think most of us are already doing that and, um, are wanting more money for holding onto money, um, at the expense of very real needs in the world that, that we could be meeting today. And so, um. People can find out more about my thoughts in the book. How about that? <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my effort to try to keep my answer shorter, that would be, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big topic. I once, uh, I once, yeah, anyway, I, uh, the, the book will uh, hopefully call people to, to generosity. And um, uh, again, I think that when we get to the end of our lives, uh, how much money we have in the, in the bank account, um, I don't know, it might actually become a little regret to us in some ways of, um, you know, there's probably some good I could have brought about in the world with this money, uh, if I didn't think I need to keep it all for myself. Yeah. Well, we want to entice people to go and get a copy of the book. 
and actually read it. So you've done a great job at that. <laughs> so where, where do you want people to go and get a copy of this book, by the way? Where is your main sort of source? Sure. Uh, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life is um, should be available at all the, the major booksellers, uh, wherever you are, anywhere in the world. I know it's being translated into a bunch of different languages uh, already, um, but uh, certainly wherever you buy books is uh, where you should be able to find it, and um, it's already available now. Uh, my website is becomingminimalist.com, and that's where... Um, everything kind of flows out of, I'm on YouTube and most of the social media channels and have a number of different things that, that I do, but that's always home base for me and, uh, everything runs through that site. So, uh, I would send people both places. Thanks for that. Well, I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you. You're not that hard to find, by the way, you just type in your name, Joshua Becker, you come up or becoming minimalist, you come up <laughs> either, either way, honestly. Um, so thank you, Google for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but two quick final questions. So this okay. uh, question I've recently started asking people, and I'm curious to know your response to this one, but what is the plot of your story that you're currently in the middle of? Uh, what is the plot of my story that I'm currently in the middle of? Uh, I am uh, I am nearing the end of a, of a significant season in life. Uh, my my oldest son um, went to college last year, and my youngest daughter, my youngest so- child, is a, a sophomore in high school. And so, the last nineteen years of my life, um, for me and my wife, have been raising two children at home. And um, I guess who knows what the what the future holds, but it it feels like a a, a major season of life change is, is coming. Um, and I, I don't know what happens necessarily after that. Um, but that's the current plot season of my life. Should be exciting times, man. Yeah. Honestly. Um, this is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? <clears throat> um, I, uh, I, I want them to... Uh, I would, um, I would go back to the same way I define success. I I would hope that my, uh, that my life, um, was proven to be faithful, uh, to God, um, that I, uh, loved my family and wife, um, and that I, uh, used my gifts and talents, uh, to make a difference in the world as best I possibly could. And I hope I, and I hope, and I hope there were some funny jokes along the way. I have no doubt that there will be. Joshua Becker, man, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, your advice, and your stories, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Very much appreciate it. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. 
It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.